This is Jessica Ortner, and I'll soon be joined by my brother Nick. Our time together is dedicated to feeling good within all of life's complexities. We'll be going through a wandering path, exploring topics like spirituality, productivity, and personal fulfillment. Because happiness is not a destination, it's an adventure. So welcome to Adventures in Happiness. And we are back with episode... Nick, what episode is this? I don't know. That's your job. We did did our intro. We got Mike Dooley, who's amazing. Ryan Holiday, Pam Grout. So this must be our fifth. Uh, no, that wait. was not good math. Wait, right wait, there. wait. Intro, Pam, Ryan, um, Mike Dooley. Yeah. And then us. So that would be – this would be our fifth episode. Oh, this is our fifth. Yeah, you're right. Oh, your, your math was good. <sighs> All oh. right. So it's our fifth. I was, I was about to make fun of your math skills because um, there is there is some room for – Improvement? No. There's some room for some laughs there, don't you think? Yes, do not bring it up. Math is a sensitive topic for me. I've never been good at it. But this interview, uh, we have Tim Ferriss as a guest, and he's all about learning. And I had a lot of really big aha moments um, listening to him because I feel like, as you know, I struggled a lot in school. I stayed back in second grade. I had a speech impediment. And I was so self-conscious when it came to things like math and learning and I learned how to compensate that insecurity by being really brave and courageous. Like, like I remember, do you remember when we went to Disney um, and you, I think you must have been 17 because you had a girlfriend with you. Okay. You yes. I, I know that trip. Yep. Do you remember that trip? And do you remember yep. that, um, what was it? The, what was that, that, that really scary ride that you're in an elevator? The Twilight Zone. Okay. I remember you and... Alex, are their brother, being too scared to go on the Twilight Zone. Absolutely. It sounds terrifying. No, thank you. And I was like, I'm going to do it because they might be better at me than school, but at least I have more guts. And I I was terrified. I was completely terrified. (laughs) But it was like the one time I just remember being like, well, I can do other things really well. funny. I did not know that. And I I went on that ride. So there you go. No, thank you. Also, I I probably have more embarrassing stories. Uh, probably yes, and uh, we are promising, promising the llama story after this interview. Correct? Yes, we promise. We're sorry. We're new at this. Our- no, and and guess what? It's not even that funny now. At this point, we've built it up for like five episodes. Like I know. you're you're really gonna have to. Do- People are gonna be let down. So I don't probably. know what to say. Well, that's what dad said. Dad wrote me an email and he's like, just a piece of advice. You got, <laughs> first of all, it wasn't a llama. It's a Wanako, which is <laughs> same thing, which is like the same thing, whatever. It's like a different breed. It's like a, a llama, but it's, but basically my height, it's like a five, two llama. That's a little skinnier. <laughs> and, uh, so yes, but we will share it. And I actually think, th- uh, this is perfect because Tim talks about embarrassing stories, just being embarrassed, being okay to take chances so it actually does fit so Nick uh, but we want I want to hear from you you have a baby coming any second now and you've had some you've been doing some traveling a little bit um what's what's new yeah a little bit of traveling uh Brenna's due in like two weeks so I mean it could happen while we're on this podcast uh that would make for some good live uh podcasting what but, would uh, happen if you just started recording live? She would kill you. <laughs> oh, she'd kill me. I mean, <laughs> what woman wouldn't? You know, know. It's terrible. <laughs> um, so that's very exciting. Uh, yeah, I just got back from Denver. I was in Denver all weekend for a Hay House I Can Do It conference. I did a full day workshop on Friday and then an hour and a half workshop on Saturday, and it was great. I mean. Uh, I, I haven't told you about it, Jess, but you know, just as an example, on Friday I had three women come up on stage who were all in pain at a level eight. For all three of them, were like eight and seven, and we worked together. We tapped. They were pain free, zero. All three of them zero at the end, and uh, it just it just blows my mind every time. I think people are making it up. I'm like, are you, you really are not in pain? But this is what happens with. Tapping and pain relief. It's just so powerful. It's crazy. Well, let's talk about the other massive piece of news. You just came out with a new book, The Tapping Solution for Pain Relief. I'm, it sounds corny, but I'm so proud of you. Well, thank I, you. I, I mean, the book is amazing. And 
I always say that the reason tapping is spreading so fast is because how effective it is for pain relief. Tell us about the book. Where can people grab it? You have some yeah. cool bonuses too. Absolutely. The book, uh, the easiest place to find it is thetappingsolution.com. That way you can go to Amazon from there and get all these cool bonuses and extra special things during launch. And uh, it's available at all your bookstores. I went to the local Barnes & Noble to sign books there, which is always fun and really exciting now, Jess, that there's The Tapping Solution for Pain Relief and then my first book, The Tapping Solution, and your book, The Tapping Solution for Weight Loss and Body Confidence. And they're all in the bookstore, which is just kind of fun. Mom and dad are so proud. <laughs> uh, so wait, can we tell the story? Do we have, can we tell the story about Allison? Uh, you can tell. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to tell this story. <laughs> like, come on. I mean, it's who would like, I be if I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got to tell you this story. Okay. So this is the story. So Allison, so Nick's wife, Brenna, has been my best friend since the middle school. I went up to her in the locker and asked to be her best friend. And fast forward now, you they're said, married. You said, uh, will you be my best friend and marry my brother in 20 years? I, I didn't say the marry my brother, but I literally said, I don't think I said best friend, but I did say, hi, I'm Jesse. Will you be my friend? <laughs> and that's how it started in front of the lockers. So now Brenna's married to you and pregnant, and she has a younger sister, Allison, who I know very well. And Allison wanted to be supportive. So she went to Barnes and Noble to buy a copy of your book, which is very sweet because you probably would have given her one. Uh, she goes to buy a, a copy and she grabs a book and she realizes that they've all been signed because it's your local bookstore and you're very generous and you went to sign them all. And she felt bad taking a signed copy because she knew that somebody else would probably want it and she knew that she could get a signed copy from you anytime. So she went to the front of Barnes and Nobles and she said, is it okay if do you have any copies that aren't signed? And the woman said, oh, yes. But, you know, I am so upset because Nick Ortner came here to sign them and I missed him. And he's so handsome. Look at this picture of him. I can't believe I missed him. And she shows Allison <laughs> your picture and Allison being so sweet and shy and not wanting to like make a scene just goes oh yeah he he he's really handsome <laughs> and she was so relieved that the woman didn't ask her why she didn't want the signed autograph because she didn't want to have to admit that uh that she's basically related to you yep so yep. i thought that was so funny and i loved that she didn't say anything and she just agreed very amusing. Very no amusing. Comment. No, no further comment. No comment. Okay. So now that I've embarrassed you, um, let's jump into this interview. You've already listened to the interview because I did it um, earlier this week. Any comments about it? I thought it was great. And, you know, I, I loved him. Um, I'm, I've followed his work for a long time. Started with the four-hour work week was sort of his breakthrough. And then the four-hour body. I have the four-hour chef right here. I mean, it's the guy's just great. He's just great stuff, and uh, we have a lot to learn from him. I'm excited to watch his new show. You'll hear all about it in uh, during the interview, but a lot to learn here. So uh, listen in. I think you're going to enjoy it. Awesome. So guys, listen, and we will meet you on the other side. Hey, Tim. Hey, Jessica. How are you? Good. How's it going? going great. Where am I catching you at the moment? Where, where are you? I am living in Newport Beach, California at the moment. Nice. nice. I lived in New York for five years and I am giving the West Coast a try. Yeah, well, you know, you're not going to miss the winters. <laughs> I am not. I know. I really got away at a perfect time. And uh, and I think I'm actually going to move probably to Santa Monica, a little bit closer to the city. It's such a good spot. Yeah. I uh, The OC is great, but going from New York to the OC, you lack so much culture. You know, I miss – it's a big yeah. change. So I need a little more diversity in my life. Yeah. Santa Monica and Venice are awesome. I, uh, I've been spending a lot more time down there. Awesome. You're in uh, San Fran, right? Yeah, that's right. Awesome. Cool. So um, let's just jump in. It's a really casual show. It's a ton of fun. I'm thrilled that you're with us because, uh, you know, Tim, like you have super fans. You're definitely have a great following. I know that uh, some people in my audience, kind of women in their 30s, 40s, 50s, you might be a new face. So mm -hmm. I would, because you have so much cool stuff going on, I would love to hear from you. 
if you're meeting someone at a party for the first time, you know, I know that Newsweek calls you the world's best human guinea pig, but how do you describe what you do? You know, I think it's a function of uh, who I'm meeting and how much alcohol I've had, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I might pull a George Costanza. I'm an architect, but yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would typically say one of a few things. I would either say I'm a writer and, and see if they ask any questions about it or if they're just going through the motions. <laughs> right. uh, I might say I am a professional dilettante because I do so many experiments on myself. That's probably a glass or two in to the evening. Uh, and uh, if I'm, say, in SF or somewhere uh, with a lot of technology companies, then I might say I'm a startup investor and advisor, which is true. And that's, that's sort of my second career that I don't uh, talk about publicly as much as the uh, as the writing or the the podcast, the TV show, etc. But um, that's been a big part of my life since about 2007. So I'd say those are usually the answers uh, that I give. Depending on alcohol consumption, that's good to know. Okay, yeah. so we have all of the answers. Uh, so Tim, you have a new show coming up. We're going to talk about the show. I'd love to talk about what you've learned about learning, some productivity tips, and hopefully I can come up with some thought-provoking questions. Um, but I want to start with this this new, the, this Tim Ferriss experiment. And the reason I'm so excited about this upcoming show is because I have a personal passion around learning because I grew up thinking that I was bad at learning new things, stayed back in second grade, had a speech impediment. So tell me about like your, the concept of the show and kind of tell us a little bit about the way that you view learning something new. Well, the way, the way I view it, let me give some context for folks also. I mean, I was, I considered myself bad at languages in school. Uh, I was told that I should I mean I was I had some very unfortunate experiences with a handful of teachers who were less than encouraging. So I came to the conclusion I was bad at math. So I chose I applied to colleges that didn't have math requirements. I was told I should never try out for a basketball team. So I stuck with wrestling and that gave me a whole complex about basketball <laughs> and so on. And uh, what I've realized after developing this accidental career as the human guinea pig and chronicling it in different ways with the, the podcast and the books and so on, is that it's, it's, it's complete nonsense. I mean, you can get seemingly superhuman results if you have the right recipe or the right toolkit. And the way that most things are taught, including languages, Spanish, whatever, or swimming, for instance. I, I didn't learn to swim until my 30s. It was one of my biggest embarrassments and humiliations. I couldn't swim a single lap. Uh, the way that I fixed all those and learned to, three, uh, learned to shoot three-pointers in basketball and to cook, for instance, that was also another Achilles heel, something I was really embarrassed about not being able to do at all, was by looking at controversial teachers and practitioners and trying to borrow what they did. And so I create these these sort of cliff notes versions that allow people to replicate their results. And uh, I mean, I'll give you an example. With, with swimming, for instance, uh, in the TV show, we, uh, because I don't want people to think that I'm superhuman, that's why I'm able to do these things, we took a, we took a woman, a mother of two, uh, who was very uncomfortable even having her face in the water, like having her nose in the water. Mm -hmm. And our job was to try to turn her into an open water freestyle swimmer who could swim about a half a mile in the ocean in like 50 feet, foot deep water in three to four days. That was, that was the goal. Um, and that, that seems impossible. And I'm not going to give away the outcome, although I would say it's- We're going to uh, assume pretty, the best. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty intense week. But uh, yeah, assume the best. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fun to watch uh, and pretty astonishing to watch. But there are a couple of things that helped me learn to swim. Number one is that they said, if you feel like you are working out and putting forth a lot of effort, you're doing it incorrectly. And we're going to measure, we're going to look at your swimming, and we're going to measure you on stroke count. So if you if it takes you 30 strokes to get to the end of the pool, we're going to try to get that to 20 to 10. And we want you to kick as little as possible. And these things that you think are swimming, like you're swimming on top of the water and pulling really hard with your hands and kicking really hard to propel yourself forward, are totally wrong. 
Um, your body's going to be mostly underwater because you're denser than the water. And you're going to focus on kind of gliding and pushing your arm through the water to go from your right side to your left side. And you're going to flick your feet only to rotate your hips. And there were a handful of things like this. I went from not being able to swim at all to just using printed out text pages to get to about 40 laps per workout in a week to 10 days. It was in, after a lifetime of being afraid of, of swimming, keep in mind. So these are the types of things that you can do when you just have a better toolkit. And typically, that involves testing assumptions, uh, things that you've been told. It takes a lifetime to learn a language. Nonsense. Complete BS. Um, I've, I've tested it every which way from Sunday. Studied language acquisition at Princeton. Adults learn languages faster than kids, period. End of story. Really? The, they can so learn languages. Yeah, yeah, no, adults can 100% learn languages faster than kids. I mean, talk to a three-year-old. They're terrible. <laughs> right? I mean, so so uh, the, the, the challenge is that adults have jobs and mortgages and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have the option, typically, of not studying a language. Whereas you take a kid, you throw them into kindergarten in a new language, they don't have any choice, and they have nothing but time on their hands. So right. how, do you, how do you then find sort of the most efficient approach for learning languages, right? And just to show how crazy you can get, you know, one of the TV show episodes, I do, I do the crazy stuff so other people don't have to, but you can pull a lot of lessons from it and tools. I had three or four days to try to learn a new language, Tagalog, Filipino, well enough to do a live television interview in that language. Uh, which is terrifying, and uh, granted, I just about had a nervous breakdown trying to do it. Um, but you know, I went from believing that I couldn't learn languages and I was bad at Spanish to trying something like that. And I, th I think most people are just selling themselves short. So uh, that that's kind of the goal of everything I do is to show people that their max potential is so far beyond anything they've ever imagined. And that I can demonstrate it to them really, really quickly. So if people search, for instance, uh, scientific speed reading in my name, uh, free blog posts will come up and it will show you how to double or triple your reading speed in about 15 minutes. Right. I, I want to go back to talk about this adult versus child learning something new because you made a great point that children have more time. They're more likely to have full immersion. I think another aspect to this is that children tend to be okay with making mistakes. It's almost like they don't really know, they don't look at it as a mistake. You know, like a kid doesn't start to try to learn how to walk and fall down and go, I'm done. I'm, I'm never going to learn how to walk. But it seems like as adults, we have these beliefs and this fear of learning because we have this belief of, well, one, I've already been told I'm bad at it, or two, I don't want to deal with the humiliation of discovering I really am bad at it. When you're working with people, does that come up often and how do you address that? It does come up often. Uh, and I think you, you hit the nail on the head that uh, – Adults are very failure focused and kids are very feedback focused, <laughs> mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And uh, I do think there are a number of ways to try to address that. The first uh, is just trying to adopt a different set of beliefs and you can do that by journaling in the morning and repeating this type of thing or putting it, making it the background on your iPhone for instance or your screen on your, on your laptop. But uh, your success in life can basically be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations you are willing to have. Now, I'm going to tie these two things together. So whether that's asking for the raise, having the important relationship discussion with your significant other, whatever it might be. If you're not willing to have uncomfortable conversations, you are not going to be successful. Um, similarly, to the extent to which you are willing to do things that scare you or embarrass you are going to determine how smart you are, how fit you are, how attractive you are, all of these things. I mean, you, you, it, it's, it's challenging because we've been taught to avoid failure, uh, but the way I get around it is I view all of these things, trying a new exercise program, whatever it might be, a new diet, as an experiment. And there are no failed experiments. There's only feedback, uh, which is very, very important. And that, that's, just, that's just such an important mind shift. The other way you do it is say with swimming or cooking or anything like that is you you find a program that will give you an early win and uh, for instance if you're trying just to start flossing your teeth regularly don't start with flossing your whole mouth like make it your job to floss your front two teeth your each night that's it front two teeth and you're rigging the game 
so that you can develop a habit that is very, very easy to check off each, each day. And for, for cooking, for instance, it, there are a lot of ways to, uh, there are, you can learn how to cook in some incredible ways just by changing how you make scrambled eggs each morning and starting to experiment with, say, a little bit of lemon juice instead of salt. Uh, which is used by chefs. Stri the, 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 the citruses are used by chefs as they would use salt potentially. Um, and getting used to, say, flavor pairing or using different oils just with the scrambled eggs. Um, you can really develop the ability to cook without recipes using just breakfast, something you're already doing, most likely. And uh, there, there are a lot of tips and tricks like this that you can use. So I think it's, it's starting small, conducting little experiments and viewing, replacing failure with feedback, uh, which is the way a scientist or an engineer would approach this. And that's, a, that's also why if you ever meet scientists, engineers who have to think in these terms, they're usually willing to so -called, you know, embarrass themselves, make mistakes much more often than, than other people who are not trained in those ways. Right. I also, just from the way that you're describing this, I sense play involved, you know, just approaching things with that sense of play, of experimenting. Do you, do you have any instance around play? Do you relate to that at all? Oh, I totally relate to it. I think that as adults, we can be pretty serious and boring. And, uh, um, I, and of course, it's not entirely our fault. I mean, we're conditioned to view, you know, serious work, serious things, you know, because we <laughs> have we have obligations and bills right. to pay, bills to pay and, and perhaps people to care for. Uh, but it is a gift to yourself to try to rediscover joy and wonder, these things that occurred so frequently as kids. And uh, I'm not saying you have to, you know, run outside and, you know, do safe, you know, trust falls and play Nerf. <laughs> football and, and so on, but you can find aspects uh, of your life that you can make more playful or improvised, right? Where you're, you're finding a safe place to make mistakes and suck, but it's fun, so you allow it. For instance, I have been, uh, I've always hated doing yoga, just haven't been into it, a little too woo-woo, hasn't been my thing. And that's also pretty typical of guys, but like stiff dudes do not like yoga as a general rule. Uh, and what I found was I could help myself by becoming more flexible and so on by, uh, by practicing acro yoga. And acro yoga is a combination of certain acrobatic moves, and it's done typically in pairs. And it doesn't have to be man-woman, although it often is. And you have a bass and a flyer, and you do all this incredibly cool stuff that looks kind of like Cirque du Soleil performances. And uh, you're constantly making mistakes. But there's a, there's a sense of play there is uh, physical touch, and it's not sexual, but I think physical touch, uh, a lack of physical touch, whether that's dancing. So one of the, one of the skills I tried to tackle was Argentine um, tango in Argentina uh, in 2005, uh, among other things. But we are very physical beings, and you don't need to be sexual, but that, that type of touch is really has be, a lot of our digital lives have become devoid of that. And I think it causes many, many problems, a cascade of problems that we're not aware of. So embracing something as simple as some type of dance or some type of um, practice like acro yoga um, can re-inject an element of fun and play and joy and wonder and laughing in a way where it's, it's so expected that you're going to make mistakes that you forget that you're making mistakes. Yes, I love that. I often, you know, when I hear people say that they don't like to exercise or they don't like yoga, I often respond with, it's like going out on one date and then being like, I don't like men because that was a horrible date. It's like when it comes to yoga or any of this, you almost have to find have a playful uh, mentality just to actually find the one that fits. For sure. For sure. And, it, and it's, it's trial and error, right? It's just one, one more experiment. Totally. And now, that's why I, I think it's very slow if you're like, all right, I'm going to try to take one class per week or every two weeks and find the right person or the right gym or the right location. It's like, look, just make it your part-time job-ish, but a fun one, for a week. Like, go to seven different teachers in one week and, and uh, batch it in that way if possible um, so that you can kind of knock it out of the park. Or take a Saturday and go to like four or five different classes and just make sure that you're you know, staying within your uh, physical capabilities and kind of taking it 
uh, taking it easy because the, your goal in that point is not to train for the entire time. It's just to find the right teacher so that then you can go back or the right classmates so that you can go back. Right. That makes sense. So you went on all these crazy experiments. And what I love about the show is that you are teaching people that anyone really has the ability to do something when they have the right tools. But within all of these crazy experiments, did you, was there anything consistent? Like, was there a certain key or a tool that you just found supported you in all the different things that you were learning? Uh, there were quite a few consistencies. And that was one of the goals was to identify what the common threads were uh, across all of these world-class performers. And uh, the uh, one that really stuck out is that often doing things in reverse can get you incredible results. For instance, uh, there's an episode where I did both chess and, ju and Brazilian jiu-jitsu at the same time with uh, two masters. So Josh Waitzkin was one, and he was the inspiration for searching for Bobby Fischer, so considered a chess prodigy. And then Marcelo Garcia, who's a 10-time world champion in jiu-jitsu. In the chess instance, Josh is very, he's an excellent teacher. And he does something that most people have never seen. Instead of starting with openers, right, where you have the whole board of chess pieces and you're teaching the student to memorize openings, which is how almost every book starts, Josh will take all the pieces off the board and he'll start with the very end. He'll have a king and a pawn versus a king. And he uses that to teach really powerful principles that apply to the entire game. Uh, and you find a lot of the big teachers or, or best teachers will do that or what they'll do is they'll start with, uh, for instance, addressing fear of some type. Uh, since I had so many issues swimming, when I tried to learn to surf with Laird Hamilton, who's considered the, uh, some people call him the, the fittest athlete on the planet. I mean, he's, he's the undisputed king of big wave surfing. I was terrified of drowning, naturally. And, and uh, it's, it's, you don't learn very well if you're constantly terrified. That's just... Uh, it's just a, a fact for most people. And, and uh, what many people would do is they would say they would, they would ignore that. And teachers do this too because they're in a rush or whatever it might be. And they just put me on a board and stick me out in the waves and I wouldn't learn anything because I'd be too, too concerned with not drowning. And so what Laird did instead is he tried to inoculate me against that fear by taking me into uh, progressively bigger waves and allowing myself to get rumbled and get, you know, washing machined and, and, and knocked off my feet and turned around and somersaulted underwater. So wait, were and you even it, on the board at this point or he was just no, like no, no, throwing no. you was, out on a boat? Like, we, no, no, we would just, <laughs> we would walk out into the surf and okay. then like dive under the wave and then just got, get knocked over and practice getting knocked over. And what I realized case was this is manageable. This is the worst case scenario for the types of waves that I'm going to be trying to handle is very, very manageable. So that when I actually got on the board and he had a very good progression, uh, he didn't take me out straight out to the surf, uh, surfboard, which a lot of people expected. You know, we did a bit of stand up paddleboarding first to try to teach me principles, uh, is addressing the psychological bad baggage or the emotional baggage that we all have. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, so those are a couple of the commonalities. Um, another commonality would be, or uh, I would say tool that I use, is just realizing that uh, you can improve your mental performance in some very easy ways. Uh, and uh, you, you have to treat the, the brain like an organ, like a muscle, basically, and feed it appropriately. So an easy way to do that for a lot of people, and this, uh, this can also do some really interesting things like improve thyroid function and... Uh, just general energy levels, uh, although I'm not a doctor, don't play one on the internet, but coconut oil. So I will have tea, for instance, I will get ginger and turmeric tea uh, from a company called Rishi, R-I-S-H-I, based here in Oakland, and you can order it on Amazon or whatever, and I will brew my tea at about 185 degrees, but whatever, you can boil it, doesn't matter, and then I will uh, put a tablespoon of coconut oil into my tea, and sometimes I'll put a little bit of you know, green tea or something else in there to give me some caffeine. But uh, many people will be, and I think especially women, in fact, for, for a lot of reasons that, that uh, we probably don't want to dig too deep on, but just biochemical reasons, um, they will be ex just 
astonished by how much energy they feel. Um, and you know, oftentimes this will take their temperature if they're running, say, um, running low, like 97 point something, to a normal 98.6 or more close to it. And uh, that is just a very simple, simple, simple tool that people can use, trick, hack, that they can implement immediately. Mm-hmm. And uh, coconut oil, just for people who have been kind of brainwashed into thinking fat is bad, coconut oil is very hard to put down as body fat uh, because it's, it's composed in large part of something called medium chain triglycerides, which get converted to energy very, very quickly by the liver. Um, so that's, that's a great example of something simple that people can experiment with that can dramatically improve mental performance and just uh, well-being in general. I love that. And when you were working with other people, well, in the show, because I, I haven't seen, I'm going to be watching all the episodes with everybody else. In the show, you were going through the experiment, but you also mentioned that you had another in one episode, at least, you had another woman. Did you did you vary it up? Did you have a few other people that you would train as well? Yeah, we we mixed it up. So uh, I had uh, a couple of students, uh, and actually all women. Now that I think about it, uh, so we had a build a business episode where uh, I was a, a teacher. I had another teacher, a friend of mine, come in named Noah Kagan to help this uh, this young woman try to launch a business in a week, uh, which was fascinating. And uh, also had friends, uh, friends of mine in a couple of episodes to compete against. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fun. Which, which makes it a little more fun, especially when we're both making mistakes. That's another tip. Like if you're going to make mistakes, try not to make mistakes alone. Uh, it takes a lot of the, the sting out of it. Right. Uh, and... Uh, it's because the goal, of course, you know, with the show, the, the Tim Ferriss experiment, and I think by the time people are hearing this, it'll be up on iTunes in full. Yes. I'm putting up the, the entire season at once. The goal is not to, it's, it's not the, uh, look how awesome Tim Ferriss's show. Uh, that's not the goal at all. And that's also why people see my mistakes. They see my breakdowns. They see my injuries. They see all of it. They see, they see the path, which is not always a straight line. But when there are these miracles, seeming miracles, I, I show the audience and I teach them exactly how to engineer that, how to replicate it, how it happened. And the goal is the look how awesome you are, look at your capacity, this is insane, uh, show. That's, that's really the goal. And I, I've seen just with my readers, and my readers are about, I'd say at this point, you know, 40 to 50% female. Uh, some incredible results. I mean, people who've lost 120, 150 pounds on the slow carb diet, for instance. Um, I mean, there are so many women who just killed it. And, uh, many of them are, you know, women who have kids who are in their forties or even older who have sort of given up on certain aspects of their lives. If that makes sense, they've accepted unnecessarily that, well, I just can't do this because, I'm too short, I'm too old, I'm too fat, I'm too this, I'm too that, whatever it might be. And men do this as well, of course, but uh, I really want everyone to take something they've given up on or something they've always wanted to do that they put on the shelf, like learning the guitar or learning Spanish or French or whatever it might be, uh, to swim for it. That's a very enabling thing to learn if you don't know how to swim. Uh, to dust that off and uh, you know, hopefully you know, watch the show and I think people will come away being invigorated to to give these things a shot because uh, you know the, the your potential is entirely negotiable, but you have to be the one to kind of negotiate it and experiment. I love that. And what I what I'm thinking as I'm just hearing all of this is that so often when we're setting goals in our lives, we can be really hard on ourselves. We can be really structured and we choose to do things because we think it's the responsible thing to do. So maybe we won't learn Argentine tango because we look at our life and we think, how is that going to benefit my children or, or any, or the quality of my life? And I think we undervalue these certain experiences that can bring us so much joy. Do you believe that the, that learning for the sake of learning what what do you think the long-term effects of that is? The long-term effects are many. And I would say that, uh, and perhaps it's not my, my place to say this, but since I observe literally millions of readers, many, many, uh, many of whom are women, I think that it's very common for uh, mothers to feel like they don't have time for themselves. Right. And if if you are accepting a life without certain types of joy that you create for yourself, that is going to be transferred to your kids. And it, it's, it's, I think it's just so important for you to realize that 
what you explicitly teach kids is just a, it's a tiny part of what makes them who they are, if that makes sense. Right. It's they learn from observation and by mimicking and by borrowing your beliefs. They absorb those things. And so number one, by, by getting excited about learning, you will make your kids excited about learning. By getting it better at learning and showing yourself the possibilities, you will get your kids excited about the possibilities. And that's exactly what my mom did for me when she exposed me to a lot of things. And I thought I could be a marine biologist or a, a comic book penciler or this, that, or the other thing. And it was because she provided that example. Um, and I think it's very, very important. But the long-term benefits are you know, if you want to double what you get out of your lifetime, uh, you know, the equivalent of living sort of experientially and from the standpoint of, of just joy and achievement and appreciation. If you want to, if you want to live 200 years, the, uh, the easiest way to make that happen right now is just to double your ability to learn. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it is, it is the, the Archimedes, the Archimedes lever. I mean, it's the force multiplier for everything else. Everything else, it just it fundamentally changes how you view the world, how you view uh, your friends, your family. It's it's the the most enabling thing that uh, I think you could do. Yeah, it's so true. Like on on both sides of my family, on my mom's side and my dad's side, I have these two great aunts. They are both eighty six years old. They are legends. And the one thing that's consistent between these two women is that they are always learning and growing and. And they're always working on a project. You know, my one of yep. my aunts actually got married. She, she got married for the first time when she was 22. Her husband died in a plane accident when she was pregnant. Got married again when she was 79. And wow. is so in love, you know, and still it's been the best like six or whatever years of her life. Um, but the one consistent thing about these two people that have different genetics and eat differently and have different lifestyles is their ability to consistently want to learn and grow and do some, do new things. Absolutely. I, I've spent some time in uh, the village of Ogimi in Japan, which has the highest, uh, average lifespan in the world. And we noticed that basically a few things. Um, th there were dietary differences, but I don't think those are that important, quite frankly. Although they, they didn't eat a lot of rice, which is very interesting. They ate lower glycemic uh, foods and a lot of sea vegetables, but nobody retired. People were active and learning. Our driver was 85 years old. Driving a taxi would jump out and run around with us. And you saw people were constantly learning, whether they were gardening, uh, doing community service projects, and trying to teach other people new things. Uh, I think that the, people die when, oftentimes, not always, but people die when they feel like they don't have a purpose, when they don't have a function, when they stop growing. I really feel that way. And uh, the best way to prevent that, of course, is to continue exploring, keep exploring. I mean, like, don't stop moving, you know, keep exploring and, and, and trigger that trigger, trigger growth. Right. One of the words that I can't stand personally is the life purpose, like that whole concept, only because I think there's so many people who get stuck in that and they're like, I don't know what my life purpose is. I don't know what's that. They feel like they're meant to do something great and they don't know what it is yet. And so they find themselves just kind of standing still and waiting to discover that. And I love the way that you're approaching life and, and almost the sense of, our life purpose isn't this one singular thing, but it's to be able to expand and to grow and to learn. And it takes us down such amazing paths. Definitely. And if you want to ever find something resembling a life purpose, you have to try a lot of things. It's that yeah. simple. I mean, Mother Teresa didn't plan on being Mother Teresa in quotation marks. She was just helping one person at a time. Right. And you have to try a lot of things. Uh, if you want to find the perfect mix, the perfect medley of sort of joy, growth, giving back, and so on, it's just a matter of trying uh, and trying and learning quite a few things. And you just treat it as you know one or two week experiments. You try salsa, one or two week experiments. You try some new type of yoga or acro yoga, and it doesn't need to be hard. It does not need to be time consuming, especially when you have the right uh, the right recipe or toolkit. And I think that. Uh, if people, for instance, I mean, watch even a couple of episodes of um, the Tim Ferriss Experiment, they'll come away after spending just an hour with number one, having enjoyed the show. It's it's made by 
uh, in part by the team that did all of Anthony Bourdain's stuff. It's very cinematic, very exciting to watch. Uh, Emmy award-winning cameramen and so on. Uh, but they'll come away with a toolkit that will help them uh, to do all these things. Yeah. So, Tim, do you when you hear the word life purpose, do you do you think of something like do you have a, a kind of a clear sentence around that? After I bashed it, but you know what? I, but you get what I'm saying with what my struggle no. with the life purpose. No, it I seems do. It's too I, rigid. Yeah, I I really don't worry about it. I take it one day <laughs> at a time, and I try to be better in some tiny way. Uh, on you know a weekly or monthly basis, right. and uh, and I make tons of mistakes, and you can make thousands of mistakes, millions of mistakes, as long as you just get a few things right. Uh, you don't have to be perfect, um, and if you try to be perfect, you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything new. So that's a waste of life. So um, you know that that would be that would be my recommendation. Right. I want to ask you about willpower. Do you believe that some people are born with more willpower than others? Uh you know, I'll, I'll let me. I'll try to keep this concise because I know we have to. We have to. We have to wrap up and uh, with with time. But the willpower is overrated. I think people focus on willpower and they say they don't have willpower, or they say someone else has more willpower because it gives them an excuse. It gives them a hall pass not to do something. And I've been guilty of this too. Uh, I've done the same thing. Uh, I think that you have to have a system, uh, an approach that makes it hard for you to feel like a failure and that gives you early wins in the beginning. And I think if you do that, you can get incredible results that you might attribute to someone who has what you would consider incredible willpower. Um, but uh, I really think that I have very little willpower. I have a lot of terrible instincts. I want to wake up late, hit the snooze button until you know to, to keep me in bed for another two hours. I want to eat, you know, the chocolate covered popcorn. I, I have all of these impulses, and I've just created systems like having a cheat day once a week. Right, Saturday is my kind of fatter day. I can eat whatever I want <laughs> that allow me to hit the release valve and like take care of my inner goblins while still getting really good results. So I think it's just a matter of of sort of accumulating these recipes. Awesome. Well, you're definitely inspiring us with your show. Where can we go to watch it and just to learn more about the all the great things that you do? Uh, no, this has been fun. I uh, I will have all the every episode should be up at this point. People can find that as well as all sorts of bonuses, and I think a free episode or at least overview of all the episodes at iTunes.com forward slash Tim Ferriss, two R's and two S's, and uh, they can also find all sorts of free stuff at uh, Four Hour Workweek, all spelled out F O U R Four Hour Workweek.com forward slash TV. Awesome. Awesome. Tim, well, I really appreciate it. I, I'm a big fan. I love your work. I hope everyone checks it out. And, and the best of luck. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And we are back for the after party. A lot of enthusiasm on the we're back, Jess. <laughs> I mean, just I appreciate it, but... I'm excited. Uh, you're excited. Okay. I'm yeah. excited because I'm going to share my story. Uh, so... I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. I had a lot of aha moments. If you had any aha moments, let us know on Facebook because we always love to hear from you guys. Nick, any comment? Should I just jump in? Uh, you know, go check out Tim's work and his show. And, uh, you know, it's it's worth your time. There's really, really great stuff there. I yeah. mean, you know, to, to me, Tim's a guy who's just – I'm flipping through his book right now, 4-Hour Chef. He's just doing it. You know, he's living. I mean, he's brilliant. And he experiments and he tries stuff and he's just excited about life. And, uh, and I think that's pretty great. I think that's one of the biggest things I took from interviewing him is how important it is to try and to explore and to even have a playful approach when it comes to it. Because, you know, I did a lot of tapping and a lot of work on the beliefs I had because I struggled in school. And it took me a lot of years to realize that being adventurous and trying new things is really intelligence. And you're able to could discover so much more in your life when you come from that kind of playful attitude. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know that there's, I think a big thing with Tim too, is that there's easier ways to do things than we know. You know, his big thing is like hacking and like that's sort of a new thing that a lot of people are exploring, how to make seemingly difficult things easier and uh and who who doesn't want that yeah i mean a great question is just thinking what if your dream is easier to achieve than you've ever imagined I mean, mm. what if 
What if mm. it's easy? It's something to think about. All right. Something to think about. Are we ready? Drumroll, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, finally. Oh, gosh. The llama is- story, which probably will not sound funny since we've been hyping it up for five weeks. Such a letdown. I'm sorry, people. <laughs> you can tap on, even though this llama story wasn't as funny as they said. Okay, let's go into it. So, a few years back, well, I'm in Argentina. It is a great aunt's 80th birthday party. And side note, there's other embarrassing stories from other aunts' 80th birthday parties because I we have a massive family in Argentina and we go to a lot of events. So 80th birthday party, driving through the Patagonia in Argentina, and we come across this beautiful ranch that has, it's on the water, and there's wild horses and sheep, and I get out of the car and I see this animal, which is called a wanaco. It's a it's a kind of smaller than a llama, maybe an alpaca. I don't really know. But it's an Argentine llama thing. And I see it from the distance. It's so beautiful. It looks so gentle and sweet. And I grab my cousin, Gonzalo, and I'm like, take my camera. I, I really want to take a picture with this wanaco, and I want to get to know it. So... I begin to walk towards it. And I want to get to know it. I, I want to get I to, want to know be it. Friends. I, I do. want to be friends. With I was sometimes I think I'm Snow White and <laughs> and then things go horribly wrong. Okay. So I start to slowly walk towards this animal and it sees me and it begins to walk towards me. And the ocean is in the background, like the sun is setting. It's just this beautiful moment and it walks right up to me. It's my height, so it's like five one five two. So it's staring, like gazing directly into my eyes. This animal has these gorgeous hazel eyes, and I take my two hands and I begin to pet this wanako behind the ears, staring at it in its eyes, and my mouth is open in awe, and I feel like I'm having this profound spiritual experience, and I feel one with the universe, and all of a sudden... <laughs> it spits into my mouth. My mouth that was open with wonder (laughs) was just abused by this Wanako spit that hit me so hard that it threw my head back. And before I could even spit or swallow or do anything, I could feel the Wanako spit slowly going down my throat. And I'm just like, ah! Like just like, and everyone. It was in front of everybody. Our our cousin Gonzalo didn't even have the camera up. He had the camera, and he just was frozen because he could not believe what he just witnessed. So that was not the spiritual moment that I, you know, had expected. This gets more disgusting. So we go to the party, and I just start drinking alcohol because I'm thinking it'll kill. Maybe it'll kill some of the bacteria. So. I like I had already went to the bathroom and tried to wash out my mouth, but it was like it was too late. It was already just down there. And so I just start to like drink this red wine and I'm sitting at this big round table with the whole family. And another cousin uh, from across the table says in Spanish, obviously, he's like, what's what's wrong with you? Why are you being so quiet? And I looked at him and I was like, I just feel I feel disgusting and it burns like I I feel like there's like tobacco in my throat like it's everything's burning and the entire table begins just erupts erupts is that the word yep yep. in laughter (laughs) everyone starts laughing and I'm like what's so funny they told me that these stupid little dinky Argentine llamas eat hey you don't have to hey you don't have to call them stupid no I do why why are you picking on this poor (laughs) guanaco because it's been in my mouth if there's a moment to call names all right. Okay, fine. fine. This enlightened, amazing <laughs> thing that decided to spit into my mouth um, eat cigarette butts from the floor. Uh, uh. And so what I had was not only Winago spit, but leftover cigarette butts uh. like inside. And so now every time in Argentina, everybody asks how my boyfriend, the Winaco, is doing, if I've told my parents about him, <laughs> how the relationship is progressing. <laughs> so... So, yeah, that's what happens when I think I'm having a profound spiritual moment. That but, is the guanaco slash llama story. But, Jess, what's your what's your takeaway for that from this? What uh, What's your life lesson? 
So this is the funny thing about this question, because do you remember a few years ago, it was my first time I had to speak in front of a large audience in Hay House. It was like 800 people. And I was so scared. And you kept telling me, just tell the Wanako story. And I was like, Nick, there's nothing relevant about this story. And he goes, it's and you were like, it's playful. It's fun. People can see your personality. And I and I thought about it. And so I ended up kind of setting it up with the lesson that like life doesn't sometimes we want life to be this profound spiritual moment and things can go a little off. But when I look back at that story and how often I've laughed at it, it just shows that every moment has its is can be beautiful can I have you know I have no idea I'm just completely making this stuff up. What do you? Uh, no, 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 I, no, no. Do you get I what I'm saying a little from. bit? Yeah. Like, look, that, I mean, in that moment, a, I mean, it was kind of terrible, but it wasn't that terrible, right? Yeah. It was just gross, and everyone laughed, and other people have laughed from it, and, and I love that you know you were having that profound spiritual experience, and then you laugh. Like, isn't isn't laughter a profound spiritual experience in and of itself, you know? So and it's, it's it, true. And, and maybe that's a lesson to not take everything so seriously. Yeah. Like when you, when you start taking life seriously, like it's all so deep and monumental, then a guanaco spits in your mouth. Exactly. So. Well, it's like, um, a, f- a year later I was with a friend and we took a vacation. We were snorkeling and a sea turtle came and she was terrified. So she like swam the other direction and I, you know, the sea turtle kind of swam up to me and I'm like swimming next to the sea turtle and I hear her screaming and I put my head up and she's like, Jess, don't you remember the Wanako spitting in your mouth? Stop trying to be Snow White. Stay away from wildlife. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, the turtle's not going to eat me. I'm fine. But it, it goes to the to the point of I think I've had amazing experiences in my life because I haven't been scared to be embarrassed. I haven't been nervous about things going wrong. I'm willing to give things a try because if it does go wrong, I'm going to have a good laugh. That is a great attitude. Thank you, brother. You're welcome, sister. All, All right. right. So everyone, I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, it was kind of funny. I, I think I think you people should laughed. Have, you should have yeah. laughed more because we don't have a laugh track. It's like in a sitcom. They have like the audience or the laugh track. I don't think you really stepped up to the plate during that. Oh, but so. I've heard it like 20 times, <laughs> you know. So how contrived know. it is. I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's true. Right. Well, many more stories to come. Should I we hope mix that- in a laugh track? Let's, you know, right we have now. time to edit this like right now. Big, big laughter. So I don't like, know if the we have llama time to story. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if we'll have time to have Shalane, our audio editor, to put that in. <laughs> you may have heard a laugh track just now. You may have not. <laughs> Who knows? We don't know. We're new at this. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Keep in touch if you like this episode. Again, we love to hear from you. Connect with us on Facebook and share. Let people know about this podcast. We're able to do this because of all of your support. And if you want to uh, see Tim's series, learn more about his book, even get a link to that coconut oil, you can check that out in the show notes, thetappingsolution.com forward slash notes. Thanks, Great. guys. And if you can write a review, people, love, we love reviews. Yes, too. So, please. Thank you. We love you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.